0: A'udhu billahi minash rahman rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all welcome to another episode of the breakfast show here on the voice of islam radio station you are listening to myself summer angeles and we will be with you god willing all the way up until 9 o'clock so if you do have any questions any remarks any comments that you'd like to make please feel free to do so the number for you as always is is zero to and of course uh, um, the the Twitter handle and the Instagram uh, handle is at Voice of Islam UK. So you can get uh, in contact with us, get involved in the discussion in any way that you like, whether it's through social media or by picking up the phone. Zero to zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. Um, If you are familiar with The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station, you'll know that we usually speak about three main topics after the roundup of the news. Um, And similarly, we'll be doing the same today. Um, The first segment is going to be in regards to houseplants in our room. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Let us know what you think. In the second hour, we're going to be discussing the risks of having smartphones in schools, Um, and then last but not least, we'll be speaking about children's anxiety. So, as you can imagine, very important topics that we're addressing today. So do stay tuned and let us know what your thoughts are in this regard as well. Um, Before getting into the uh, roundup of the news, uh, Jalise, how are you doing this fine morning?
1: Yeah, by the grace of God, all is well, um, and yourself.
0: Very good, very good, by the grace of Allah the Almighty. Um, and uh, what's what's the weather looking like?
1: Yeah, so if we look at the weather for the week, beginning with today, we will see, um, today we'll see sunny spells, patchy cloud and scattered showers developing. Showers will be heavier in the northeast where they will linger on but it will turn drier for most towards the evening. Uh, Tonight, northern Scotland will see largely cloudy skies with a few showers. Elsewhere will be dry with clear spells and few patches of cloud, although patchy mist and fog will develop in the west. Moving on to tomorrow, we'll see a mostly sunshine to start with mist lifting, but patchy cloud developing later with just the odd isolated shower. Cloudier for parts of northern Scotland with more frequent showers. And then an outlook for Thursday to Saturday, we'll see that Thursday will be dry with sunshine in the south but the southwest turning cloudier later. Patchy cloud and the odd shower for the north. On Friday, heavy rain will spread over much of the UK uh, from southwest dry and largely sunny in the far north saturday morning we'll see the rain clear the far north and cloud will break to give sunny spells but also the odd shower so as we can see it's a mixture of both uh you know sunny spells a bit of cloud a bit of shower um this is what the weather is looking out looking uh like for the next uh saturday
0: mhm okay not too bad <laughs> Um, The newspaper headlines, EU rejects UK migrant plan and dissidents have PSNI data. Uh, So the Times says the European Union has rejected attempts by Prime Minister Minister Rishi Sunak uh, to get a new deal on returning migrants who arrive in the UK after crossing the Channel in small boats. The paper says an official at the European Commission told British officials they were quote-unquote not open to an agreement where the UK would return migrants to the EU state where they first claimed asylum. Mm-hmm.
1: The Daily Mail also leads on the issue of small boat crossings, reporting that UK MPs have warned the French they must go, quote-unquote, faster and further to clamp down on people trafficking after being promised £480 million in funding, the paper says. The Guardian leads with the latest
0: on the data breach at the Police Service of Northern Ireland. Republic uh, paramilitaries have uh, got hold of the personal information of thousands of officers and staff, according to the PSNI's Chief Constable. It says... Simon Bynne has quoted saying that it's the force's uh, planning assumption, quote-unquote, that dissidents will use the list to generate fear and uncertainty as well as intimidating or targeting officers, quote-unquote.
1: The Metro's first page features Monday's story that the NHS in England is considering scrapping the target for cancer patients to to be seen by a specialist in two weeks. It quotes a leading oncologist saying the idea is, quote-unquote, omnious and deeply worrying. NHS bosses say the current range of targets are outdated, quote-unquote, because of new diagnostic techniques, the Metro reports. Mm
0: -hmm. The Daily Telegraph reports
1: the views of the
0: Children's Commissioner for England who is calling for young people's views to be at the heart of the COVID inquiry? Dame Rachel de Souza has written to the inquiry's chairwoman, Baroness Hallett, uh, are urging her to focus on how the pandemic affected children. The paper reports more than 40 charities and experts has said the inquiry is silencing "quote unquote"
1: children. Parents need to stop the children from joining dangerous TikTok crazes, according to the new chairwoman of the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners, Donna Jones. The Daily Mail says her warning comes days after disorder on London's Oxford Street, which was prompted by videos posted on social media. The Financial Times leads with a
0: story about Saudi Arabia and the UAE snapping up, quote-unquote, thousands of high-performance NVIDIA chips uh, joining a global AI arms race, quote-unquote. The paper writes that the countries are choking the supply of the chips crucial for building artificial intelligence and that their aim is to be leaders in the field and to turbocharge, quote-unquote, their respective
1: economies. A five-year-old girl is, quote-unquote, lucky to survive after she was attacked by a, quote-unquote, bully-type dog. According to the Daily Mirror's front-page story, Farah Lay Nicole has left uh, was left with horrific facial injuries, quote-unquote, it reports. The paper says her mother has called for action against dangerous dogs.
0: Hmm. And lastly, the Daily Star leads with reports that a big cat, quote-unquote, is in, uh, at large in Staffordshire. Uh, the paper has printed a picture, said to be of the animal, uh, on its front page, which it says is proof panthers are roaming our countryside, quote-unquote. Uh, So just a quick uh, recap um, before we get into maybe a few articles as well. Uh, No one's story dominates the day's headlines on Tuesdays as the Times reports that uh, the European Union has rejected Britain's attempts to reach a new deal for the return of migrants who arrive in the UK via unauthorised routes. The paper says... Has been official. I have seen uh, official notes of a meeting suggesting that such a pact is not being entertained by Brussels, or which is dealing with its own internal rows over migration. Rishi Sunak had op- hoped, says the paper, that such an agreement would help him tackle the small boats crisis. A government spokesman tells the Times that the UK is in regular conversation with the EU on a range of matters relating to asylum and migration um dear france for 480 million pounds can you actually stop the boats quote unquote is the question posed by the daily express Alongside a picture of dinghy packed with migrants, the paper carries a warning from Conservative MPs that the French must go faster and further, quote-unquote, to stop migrant small boats after being promised that sum from Britain. The Guardian leads with the admission by Northern Ireland's Chief Constable Simon Byrne um, that dissident Republicans have data from the police service of Northern Ireland leak. The paper says uh, this has deep, deepened anxiety, quote-unquote, that paramilitaries will use the information to threaten to, uh, to attack officers and to deter police recruitment, especially among Catholics. According to the Daily Telegraph, the Children's Commissioner for England is now piling pressure on the COVID inquiry to put young people's views at the heart of its investigation, the paper says Dame Rochelle de Souza has written to the inquiry's chairwoman Baroness Hale, urging her to prioritise examining the impact of the pandemic on the ch- on children. The paper says the issue is not expected to be looked at until at least 2025. A spokesman for the inquiry tells the Telegraph that its chairwoman is committed to investigating the impacts on young people, including health, well-being and social care. Another day, another attack, quote-unquote, is the headline in the Daily Mirror. It says a five-year-old girl is lucky to survive, quote-unquote, after being attacked by a bully-type dog on the street in Stockton on Tees in County Durham. The paper says the latest attack left Farah Lee Nichol um, with horrific facial injuries, and that uh, uh, there are growing demands for a change in the law to deal with a with the mirror, with what the mirror calls a killer dogs crisis, quote unquote. Uh, the Daily Mail highlights a warning from a police leader that parents need to get a grip on TikTok jobs quote unquote, and stop their children joining dangerous crazes. The new chairwoman of the Associates of Police and Crime Commissioners, Donna Jones, has spoken out after several incidents, including what the paper describes as flash mob looting, quote-unquote, on Oxford Street in London when young people were encouraged on social media to steal from shops. TikTok denies any responsibility for what happened on Oxford Street, saying it's seen no evidence to support the claims. Um jelis was there anything in particular uh that, that that caught your attention um it could be whether for, uh, it could be from uh, the headlines that we mentioned um or it could even be from within um uh, other articles which are which are com- going around in uh, in the newspapers today
1: yeah indeed so an article which um, caught my eye <clears throat> though it does it, it does um, it saddens me to you know to to learn about this and read this, but Al Jazeera published um, a news um, with the headline of the news was a copy of Quran desecrated outside Stockholm's Royal Palace in Stockholm, which is the uh, capital of Sweden. And um, you know, whenever I, I see such an article, obviously being a Muslim myself and being a person who 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 understands and uh, Islam being a religion of peace? It's 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 uh, sad to see that um, you know certain things like this um, is happening around the world where people feel like uh, burning the Holy Quran is um, something that they feel they need to do. Uh, when we look at uh, the Sweden's uh, freedom of speech laws, it says that burning the Quran is permitted under those laws. So that's actually quite sad as well. Um, so the the news i, I um the begins off with saying that stockholm uh, sweden um a copy of the Quran has been uh, desecrated in sweden's capital as uh, and it goes on to explain what had happened um first and foremost um you know as muslims when we see this it is it is sad to you know see such um news um or such things happening around the world and, uh, you know, it naturally emerges is, you know, in a Muslim's mind and in, in one's mind, it would um, uh, naturally it would emerge in how should a, such a person respond to such actions? You know, when, when um, for, th- this is not the first time this has happened in Sweden as well. Um, when, you know, s- incidents unfolded in Sweden during 2020, uh, His Holiness, um, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, he um said that uh, he, he not only denounced the desecration of the Quran but also provided um you know counsel and you know guidance regarding the appropriate course of actions for Muslims to take you know during the a a meeting um with the with a group of um um of Ahmadi uh, Muslims from Sweden um you know his holiness said and I quote The reason why this is happening is that they do not know the true teachings of Islam and the Holy Qur'an. Moreover, due to the actions of some terrorists among the Muslims, these people get the impression that such things might actually be written in the Holy Qur'an and um you know his holiness um hazim Masoor but he goes on to say that so you know these people you know should be made aware of the the teachings of islam and uh, you know this is uh, as as the uh, often we would see on the news when something like this happens, there is this various reactions from within the Muslim community, within the Muslim world. Uh, you know, some some uh, some people react in various ways. But here, our, our Imam, our Khalifa, His Holiness, has told us that the first and foremost and the main thing which we should be doing is that, and he ex- explained that the reason why this is happening is that they do not know the true teachings of Islam. So it... It falls upon us as Muslims that, of course, when we do see something like this happening in the news, um, though it is sad, of course, but we should take this opportunity to further promote and teach the true and peaceful teachings of Islam. So that when people learn about the beauty of Islam and what it stands for, then they will, of course, um, you know, such incidents like this shall not take place. You know, to uh, it is it is important that you know to 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 promote the teachings of Islam uh it is imperative that we begin with our own education and even more uh we we should uh the teachings of Islam as Muslims around the world should embody the uh the the teachings of Islam and show through their actions how Islam um not only has helped uh muslims but how it can be extremely beneficial for uh and the 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 way of guidance for mankind as well so you know this is something that i did see it was published yesterday and um, though of course it's sad as i mentioned that you know such uh things uh do take place around the world but we should as muslims we should respond in a way where we take this opportunity to further spread the peaceful teachings of islam and uh, to the corners of the world
0: most certainly most certainly and i mean it just goes to show that uh, um th- th- there is still so much ignorance isn't it? it it's it's the lack of knowledge um and the lack of understanding which has caused people to do this indeed um and like you mentioned uh, even within the the uh within the the, the laws of the country uh, such a thing is permitted as well which is uh, deeply worrying and saddening uh to see that um we have gone to such an extent uh we in the general term um in in, in such to such an extent in which we feel as if the freedom of of our of our speech um can, means that we can absolutely say anything and everything uh regardless of uh, the consequences but uh, His Holiness has expounded on this many a time, that it, it, it doesn't, freedom of speech is not simply for us to be able or allowed to say whatever we want willy-nilly. Rather, it, uh, uh wherever the, the feelings of someone start getting hurt, uh, then that is uh, where the limit is drawn, and that is where the line is drawn, and uh, you are not to exceed that limit or that boundary. And that is what freedom of speech is. It is not for, for you to say that whatever you wish. Rather, you can, uh, in in a respectable manner, you can say what you feel, but you must not hurt the sentiments of anyone else. And that is what true freedom of uh, of speech is. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um. Just one more thing before we move on to the first main segment of the day the in regards to uh the, the the what the daily mail uh highlights as well um warning uh, uh from uh, from the police leaders uh from a police leader that parents need to get a grip on uh, tiktok jobs and stop their children from uh, joining dangerous uh, crazes as well and I, and i think it's uh, essential um just to maybe slightly touch on this as well, because it's so apt in our society, in which we see that uh, these, and it's not just TikTok, but it's, uh, it's social media as a whole. Um, and all of these crazes that we see, all of these new trends that we see, um, regardless of people's age, whether they're uh, young children, whether they're uh, teenagers, whether they're adults or, or, or even older as well. Um, people do get on to the uh, get on the bandwagon, isn't it? A- a- as it is, and uh, it- it start these uh, to to follow these trends. I-, I mean, there was I remember there was a trend in which uh, um, people would, uh, would would play a play a song and uh, in, in whilst driving, whilst in their car, um, and then get out uh, like the the driver would get out, do a bit of a dance, and then go back into the car. Um, and uh, there were so, so many accidents uh, which happened because of that as well. And it's, I mean, if it's silly, isn't it? If you were to tell someone uh, that this is a trend, would you like to do it? I mean, I'm sure they would say no, of course not. Mm. But uh, because of the because of the hype that it was getting, because of the m- maybe the views or, uh, that it was getting, or maybe because the 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 song which was being played in the background was that of a famous artist for so many different reasons uh possibly um people were following this trend as well and and it's, it, there there were so many other there's been so many uh, dangerous um trends that we've seen in the past as well and it's just a matter of educating yourselves um and your family and your loved ones uh, your children and whoever else as well that uh, it is not necessary to follow every single thing that we see on social media. Um, Of course, we can see it, understand it, and uh, take action um, uh, 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 on it in our own way. But it doesn't mean that because there is a social media going around or there's a hashtag um, which which is popping up and you, you want to just get onto that as well and just... Uh, be a part of that uh, that thing, whether it's a craze, whether it's a, um, whatever it might be, right? Um, it, it's not necessary for us to get involved in every single thing. You should look at your own health. You should look at whatever you feel is appropriate and uh, act accordingly, isn't
1: it? Indeed. I mean, I, I there's an article that I recently read on the New York Times where they used a phrase, which, you know, it really struck out <clears throat> to me, which was uh, chasing likes. And um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, there's people uh, nowadays, or whenever a social media trend pops up, then often what happens is people, uh, you know, want in 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 pursuit of this trend, they are you know chasing likes, and there's been a lot of studies done over you know uh, the 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 psychological impact behind what a person goes through when they are either on social media or when they are uh spending the days you know in in pursuit of you know validation online or chasing likes or being part of a you know a trend um you know specifically this trend which you mentioned where a person is in their car and then they would come out whilst the car is still moving um you know we'd, we we don't need to go too deeply into it but you know knowing that this is putting can literally put oneself's life and another person's life at risk and you know certain things um should just not be a trend um and should not be uh, i mean even if it, it does become a trend with the you know mankind or people should know why it is uh, you know uh, important to uh, instead of chasing likes one should you know look out for the well-being of themselves society or you know Because through this trend, I'm sure I've I've also seen um, a couple of these, uh, you know, uh, there's been various news articles as well where a person may have done this and uh, either uh, uh, there was one news that I remember that someone tried to do this uh, trend in a place where, in a car wash, so they got out, it was in, in the car wash. And of course, you know, the, the, the car wash is where um, you, you drive through. And then the, the, I'm not sure what it calls, but the machine itself, it cleans the car. Mm. So a person did this. They opened the door. They got out. And then when they tried to get back in, they couldn't close the door. And as they got out of the car wash, the door was completely off. It was broken. Oh. The car bro- the car door broke. Yeah. So, you know, these are the things that a person can expect when they, you know, uh, Either do such trends which are not safe mm. um yeah, I mean not to get too deep into it, I'm sure everyone understands you know the the impacts that these that this does have, but yeah
0: yeah just lastly before we move on to our our first main segment do you just 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 a quick question that I want to pose uh, for our <coughs> listeners as well and, and and as and for you as well these. Um, do you think because like I mentioned uh, these things are are backed by by so many people getting involved in it uh, following the hashtags and following all of these things and maybe um, social media influencers not maybe but most of them do get involved in them as well uh, and that's why more and more people see it and more and more people want to be a part of it as well do you think um, uh, of course people as individuals are to blame anyway um, but do you th- do you think the the app um, th- those who are in charge of the apps, um, whatever social media platform it may be, it can be Snapchat, it can be uh, TikTok, it could be Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, do you th- feel as if they should maybe shut down such things so that people uh, don't get to see these things? If there's if there's no social media platform in which these things are being made visible, then maybe people would just stop.
1: What do you think? Uh I mean um you know because a lot of people they do the the, the whole psychological process that goes behind this um where it be f- following a trend is that when a person knows that a group of people are doing it they will jump on board and yeah. the term again which i'm used was chasing likes. So um uh should this be available to every uh, to every single person no i i i would f- i feel that you know certain uh, restrictions should be in play. Um, you know, we already have uh various apps um already have age restrictions and, you know, various restrictions. But um the the the, the, the fact of the matter is it all go boils down to the person who's watching it themselves. Mm. When they uh you know, are educated and they know that certain trends are harmful, um, you know, they should know enough um, you know, to 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 say no to a certain trend. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, each person is accountable for what they do. No matter uh, what they see on social media, um, you know, they shouldn't just follow it uh, mm. because everyone's doing it. But uh, because everyone's accountable for they, them, themselves. So I would assume that it boils down to the human being himself or herself who is uh, watching such a uh, trend.
0: Yeah, yeah, most certainly. Um, with that, we're going to be going to our first main segment for the day. Just a quick reminder for you: we're talking about houseplants in our rooms, whether it's a good thing or bad thing. After the eight o'clock news, we will be discussing the risks of having smartphones in schools, and last but not least, we're going to be speaking about children's anxiety as well. So, if you do want to get involved in any one of these discussions, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and of course, you can tweet us. And leave Leave your comments on our instagram page at voice of islam uk so most people don't realize just how many pollutants are swirling around indoors where they typically spend most of their time for example many of the products we use for cleaning and refreshing our homes schools and workplaces are adding invisible toxins to the air Dr. Anne Hicks, a paediatric uh, pulmonary specialist at the University of Alberta, says to BBC, if you can smell it, there's a chemical in the air that's getting up your nose. So all of that is pollution, whether it's whether it smells good or bad. Indoor air pollution is huge, quote unquote. So there are a few things that we want to address um, during the course of this show, Uh air fresheners, cleaners being harmful to our health or not, Um, how can microorganisms absorb indoor pollutants, Um, the pros and cons maybe even of uh, growing plants indoors. Um, But the first thing that we want to address and get straight into is whether or not it's good to have houseplants in our room. So, uh, uh, I mean, Jalees, we can see that generally it is safe to have houseplants in our house. There are several uh, potential benefits to doing so. However, there are a few considerations to keep in mind to ensure the safety and well being of people as well. So, of course, the first thing is allergies and sensitivities. So, some individuals may be allergic to certain types of plants or their pollen. It is important to choose plants that are less likely to trigger allergic reactions. Toxic plants. Well, while many houseplants are safe, some can actually be toxic to humans and pets if ingested. Thus, it's important to consider plants and avoid toxic ones, especially if you have children or pets. Um, another thing is, of course, excuse me, indoor air quality. So, houseplants can contribute to improved indoor air quality by filtering out pollutants. Uh, However, some plants release moisture, which could potentially lead to increased humidity. While this is generally not a problem, excessively high humidity levels levels can contribute to mould growth. Proper ventilation can help maintain a healthy balance. And um, another thing is sleep quality. So while many plants release oxygen during the day some plants also release carbon dioxide at night However, the amount is usually negligible and shouldn't impact your sleep. If you're concerned, you can place uh, uh, plants further away from your sleeping area. Um, So in general, uh, with proper research, plant selection and care, having household uh, plants um, uh, in your bedroom can offer aesthetic, psychological and even potential health benefits as well. Um, Janice, what are maybe some pros and cons of uh, growing plants uh, indoors?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, growing plants indoors, you know, also known as indoor gardening, is um, or house plant care, you know, it comes with its uh, set of pros and cons, as uh, you know, often. Uh, things do. Uh, if we look at the pros, let's start with the pros. Um, the first, I would say, is improved air quality. You know, many indoor plants can help purify the air by filtering out pollutants uh, pollutants, and, you know, um, releasing oxygen, uh, leading to better indoor air quality. Um, the second, of course, aesthetics. Uh, you know, indoor plants can Enhance the visual appeal of one's home, uh, of one's living space. You know, adding natural beauty and a touch of greenery to your indoor decoration. Um, Again, there's, there's, um, you know, indoor plants can also be, uh, can also help with stress, uh, reducing stress. You know, being around plants and, uh, you know, nature indoors has been shown to reduce uh, stress, anxiety and, you know, promote a sense of calmness you know connection to nature again uh if a person lacks outdoor garden space you know indoor plants can provide a way to connect with uh, nature and experience the benefits of uh, greenery um again there's there's uh, another one where is um, uh, hum- uh, um uh, the learning opportunity that one can get you know so Taking care of indoor plants provides an opportunity to learn about plant biology um, and uh, you know care routines and gardening techniques. And um, the uh, one more, I would say, um, you know, the year-round gardening um, is another pro, which means that you know, indoor gardening allows one to uh, grow plants year-round. Uh, regardless of the outdoor climate or season. Now, um, you know, so those were the pros. Now, if we move on to the cons of growing uh, plants indoors, we see that, you know, limited space. We see the first one that, you know, pops into mind is limited space. You know, indoor gardening is, you know, restricted by the available space uh, one has at home, you know, which can limit, the types and of uh, types and numbers of plants you can grow um again of course indoors there is a light limitation indoor plants can uh, you know they require uh, ample enough of light uh for uh, photosynthesis um you know uh, insufficient light can lead to uh poor plant uh health um another con being you know pest and disease management indoor plants you know are still you know susceptible to pests and diseases um uh, another one is uh, overwatering or underwatering you know incorrect watering is a common issue overwatering can lead to overwatering sorry can lead to um root rot while underwatering can cause plants to to you know wilt or or, or die, um, so there's 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 a couple of you know cons. There's mm-hmm. quite a few cons um, which which do come. But in conclusion, you know uh, growing plants indoors offers you know numerous of benefits because uh, we we've, we've mentioned the pros and cons. However it also comes with challenges um success in in indoor gardening depends on choosing the right plants for your space you know understanding their needs and providing proper care and uh, attention
0: yeah yeah no, no, that's that is very true as well um we 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 mentioned that air fresheners and cleaners uh, uh whether or not they can be harmful to our health as well and i'd, I'd like to get into that a bit more as well um, these can potentially be harmful to our health and depending on the ingredients they contain and how they're used as well. So many commer- commercial air fresheners and cleaning products contain a variety of chemicals that can release volatile organic compounds, VOCs, into the air, um, which can contribute to indoor air pollution and have negative Um, effects on human health. Here are some of the considerations that we'd like to share in this regard. Um, And that is that uh, VOC emissions, many air fresheners uh, release VOCs which can contribute to indoor air pollution. Uh, VOCs like benzene um, uh, have been linked to various health issues including respiratory irritation, um, allergies and even more serious conditions over prolonged exposure. Um, There's asthma and uh, allergies as well. So fragrances and other chemicals in air fresheners can trigger asthma symptoms and allergic reactions in sensitive individuals, Um, chemical exposure, which we slightly touched on earlier as well. Many cleaning products contain harsh chemicals like ammonia, bleach and strong solvents, which can irritate the skin, eyes and respiratory system as well. Inhaling fumes from these products can be harmful, especially in poorly ventilated areas. There's the environmental impact where some cleaning products can contribute to water and soil pollution uh, after they are washed down the drain. Um, And uh, green alternatives, using environmental environmentally friendly and non-toxic cleaning products can help uh, reduce the risk associated with exposure to harmful chemicals. Um, We'll be getting into um, a few more things, of course, that we need to address um when it comes to this uh, segment as well but before we do so we do have with us on the line uh, our first guest for the show uh, dr noel kingsbury uh, who is an internationally known uh, who is internationally known as an innovator writer and teacher in the fields of gardening and planting design especially in researching and promoting naturalistic planting he has also written about the history of agricultural crops and garden plants he is currently making an experimental low irrigation garden in Portugal. Assalamualaikum. Peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show. Um,
2: good morning
0: good morning and thank you for being with us. We're speaking um and talking about uh, whether or not it, uh, whether or not it's good to have house plants in our rooms in our homes. Um and we we've we've we have touched on uh, the pros and cons but can you um remind our listeners and maybe in a bit more detail as well explain to our listeners what the advantages and disadvantages of house plants might be?
2: Uh, well this um you about uh, air quality something that came out of research by NASA the North American Space Agency um, over the last few decades. Uh, NASA have a great interest in uh, keeping the air clean in their extremely confined space vehicles and so there 's got a bit of research on uh, what can be done to to purify air and we've certainly found that uh, plants generally and certain species of plants in particular are very good. Um, at uh, removing dust particles, uh, bacteria, viruses as, uh, from the air as well mm-hmm. as breaking down uh, volatile organic compounds like the benzene and toluene and things I think you, you've been talking about mm-hmm. and you know, our homes because of uh, because of modern glues and coatings, uh, say nothing of air freshness, etc. There are a certain number of these things floating around in the air of our homes. The only problem is that uh, you need quite a lot of plants to to really make a significant impact. And I think the massive research indicated that the average home would need something like 100 plants uh, to to, to really make a significant uh, impact. So there's nothing quite like uh, opening a window every now and then, maybe. Um, I would argue that the advantages of plants are overwhelmingly psychological, Um, there's some research done uh, in in the 1980s uh, again in the United States by a chap called Dr Ulrich who uh, looked at hospital recovery rates uh, depending on what patients could see out of the windows of their room or their their ward and Mm. had a remarkable correlation between views over trees and greenery and recovery rates so he then continued uh, this research and It is pretty conclusive that um, the the proximity to to, to nature or views of nature are psychological, really, very good on a deep level. So, I would argue that having plants around the home is a way of, it's not just a way of connecting people to nature, it's actually literally um, enabling them to feel some deep way in which <coughs> their presence makes us feel uh, feel, feel, feel better mm. uh, so you know, I would very much argue that that is perhaps the underlying reason why a lot of people like house plants and and why they are in some way good for us
0: yeah yeah and 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 for 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 many of us um, it, it can even be therapeutic looking after them um, and uh, taking care of them as well so that's that's yes, obviously yes. Uh, uh, another benefit as well yes yes. Um, is, it, is it true that uh, keeping plants in, in our room is bad for our health? Uh,
2: well, no, this, this was an idea that I think started probably uh, in the late 19th century when it was discovered that plants at night uh, take in oxygen and release carbon dioxide. But mm. uh, this, the, the effect is so insignificant as, as not to be, um, not to be worth considering.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also, I was watching, uh, just related to this as well, watching, uh, watch, uh, watching a video um, that uh, an individual was saying that there, there are certain t- types of plants which you should actually keep in your bedroom um, uh, uh, and overnight they, this would actually release more oxygen and it would be beneficial for you. And and, and he was comparing it to the AC and said that um, the AC has so many negative impacts that uh, because the room is closed um, and it's just the same uh, air Coming, uh, going in, and just uh, recycling that as well. Uh, so it's actually a good thing to have plants or certain uh, p- uh, types of plants in uh, in the bedroom, which will actually uh, increase the oxygen level. Is that true? Um. um
2: well, I, I think you just need so many to make any significant mm-hmm. impact. Um, and I've come back to the point, to my point that having plants around is basically a psychological. Benefits and okay. they're certainly not going to do any harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that um, in the NASA research, one of the most effective plants for air cleaning turned out to be the Boston fern, which is a you know very common house plant and one with you know a lot of you know a lot of uh, quite a large leaf area, I suppose, and um, one that's also, unfortunately, very adaptable to a wide range of uh, conditions. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think we're really seriously looking at plants as a way of. of um, of of within a room. However, um, within it's interesting. There's a move by architects and interior designers on a larger scale uh, to use plants in, in buildings uh, to do well to act, sort of act as air conditioning by, by cooling the air.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and these sort of office block atrium plantings, for example, where they. they if they feature plants at all, they tend to feature a few kind of rather stiff-looking fig plants. But if you use particularly timing plants, which are biologically much more active, you know, they can take quite a significant role in, in cooling the atmosphere within within that building atrium um, at, 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 at scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not something that really kind of, um, it's not something kind of practicable to the, to the private home in the, in the same kind of way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting, um, uh, Doctor Dr Kingsbury, um, What are the best conditions uh, for for, for house plants for for those of our listeners who are uh, interested or uh, that, uh, in starting uh, to, to 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 look after house plants um, in their home as well? The,
2: the, the main issue really is light. Um, a lot of our homes are simply too dark for plants, uh, or uh, whereas windows window cells can actually be you know boot too light i mean the range of plants that we've tended to use as house plants been plants of fairly low light conditions things that naturally would be found growing on a uh, forest floor for example um so what they like is is good indirect light um and so it depends on the on, on the home uh, the different situations <coughs> whereas um there's, there's good quality light, not direct sunlight. These these are, are ideal. Um, and uh, I mean, there are certain rooms, for example, where people tend to have ferns in bathrooms, ferns like humidity and don't like using out of light. Um, windowsills, I mean, windowsills that are uh, don't get too much sunlight are often ideal locations. Or if you do have a sunny windowsill, you could grow... Um for example, which much more tolerant of uh, high light intensities, or geraniums. Um, I mean, particularly the rooms are cooler, cool light rooms are, are very good for kind of classic, um, classic scarlet geraniums, which you know, in some situations, you can have flowering all the way through the through the winter. Um, and after a while, I think you develop a, a quite an intuitive sense of what are the best conditions for. For plants,
0: that good indirect light—that's mm-hmm. that's the key thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, b- b- lastly, before we before you had we, we had you on, we were speaking about air fresheners and cleaners and whether or not mm-hmm. they're harmful to our health and uh, 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 yeah. other related things as well. Um, how can plants, uh, house plants, purify the air and and reduce toxins?
2: Well, they um, the. Plants are can be thought of as, as, as natural chemical factories. But all the time, they are uh, uh, pulling in carbon dioxide, water, and, and producing sugars through the whole photosynthesis process, as well as then um, undertaking a whole vast range of other chemical reactions in order to to uh, to literally grow, but also to, um, for example, fight off pests and, and diseases. Um, but I think dust and micro soot particles are, are literally um, trapped on on the leaf surfaces or uh, absorbed uh, inside the leaf and um, how they break down more complex chemical compounds I or why they would why they do so i I must admit I, I don't know mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, in fact I suspect that the the research has been done is. Easily clear on that either it's just you we know, we have a pretty good idea of you know which plants are the most effective, yeah. um, but we must know no less about you know, what the actual processes are. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it's certainly thing that they're never, never going to do you any harm.
0: Mm-hmm yeah okay uh, very interesting um uh, to 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 hear all of these uh, answers that you've given as well and thank you um for for being with us uh, and sharing your insight in in regards to this uh, this this very important uh topic which we are addressing over here as well so thank you once again we hope you have a yeah, wonderful thank day you. thank you yeah, thank you bye
2: bye thank you bye
1: bye
0: Zero 208 zero eight, seven, seven, eight, seven, eight is the number for you. That was Dr. Noel Kingsbury, who is uh, internationally known as, a, uh, as an innovator, writer and teacher in the fields of gardening and planting design, especially in researching uh, and promoting naturalistic planting. He has uh, also written about the history of agricultural crops and garden plants and he is currently making an experimental low-irrigation garden in Portugal. Um... Jalees, uh so some very interesting things uh, which we addressed uh, in that uh, discussion um before we um uh, talk uh, about uh, i mean actually we can we can get into uh, what islam teaches us in regards to um this topic that we are addressing uh, and if time permits then we can maybe to speak a little bit more about uh, examples of indoor pollutants uh, removed by microorganisms and other such uh,
1: related things as well indeed so um if we if we look at what uh, uh, islam says um regarding this we see that you know there is a uh, verse of the holy quran um which is uh, where Allah almighty states that And it is he who sends down water from the cloud and we bring forth therewith every kind of growth. Then we bring forth with that green foliage wherefrom we produce clusters again and from the date palm out of its sheaths come forth bunches hanging low and we produce therewith gardens of grapes and the olive and the pomegranate Similar and dissimilar. Look at the fruit thereof when it bears fruit and the ripening thereof. Surely in this are signs for people who believe. Now, in this verse, the Holy, uh, God Almighty has explained that it is he who sends down rain. And through that, we see all these uh, we see greenery and fruits. Which are you know, which grow on our planet, and the key uh, point that we should mention, uh, which we should um, highlight in this verse is that surely in this are signs for people who believe. Now, as people who believe, um, we see that uh, it is through the blessings of rain, through rain or uh, rain that descends from the clouds, that we have uh, greenery and we have um, you know various fruits um, that we benefit from uh, every single day. And uh, another verse of the Holy Qur'an is that and he it is who spread out the earth and made therein mountains and rivers and fruits of every kind he made therein into sexes. He causes the night to cover the day. Therein verily are signs for people who reflect And in the earth are diverse tracts enjoining one another and gardens of vines and cornfields and date palms growing together from one root and others not so growing. They are watered with the same water, yet we make some of them excel others in fruit. Therein are signs for people who understand. Again, we see... That in this verse again, God Almighty is stating that uh, you know this is a, a these are signs for those people who understand. And the more we ponder upon, uh, you know, uh, the plants, uh, you know, vegetation, uh, growth, uh, you know, that comes from, comes the the, the 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 earth benefits from one rain, uh, you know, rain that descends from the clouds from God Almighty. But through that, we see multiple things growing on Earth, and this is, you know, it's uh, God Almighty has stated that this is a sign uh, for those who understand. And there are there there are uh, many other verses in the Holy Quran that speak speak about this. And um, you know, there are. uh, I mean, if 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 we can, we it's a topic where a person, you know, if we talk about this and go into depth of it, and we speak about the narrations of the Holy Prophet, we can see that there are many things that go uh, about this. But because time is limited. We are coming up to our eight o'clock news, isn't that right, Samir?
0: Yes, yes. So that's uh, that's all that we have time for for this first segment. Uh, We are going to be speaking about two more uh, very interesting topics as well. So do stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. And here is the eight o'clock news. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is 2 minutes past 8 on Tuesday, the 15th of August 2023, and you're listening to myself Saman Angelis and we are now going to be addressing our second topic. If you are just tuning in, um we were speaking about after the the roundup of the news if, of uh, about whether or not it's good to have houseplants in our rooms now we'll be addressing the risks of having smartphones in schools and last but not least we are going to be speaking about children's anxiety shortly as well um uh, Whilst uh, just getting into this uh, second topic and the second segment, the United Nations has warned of the risks of smartphones in uh, schools, stating only technology that supports learning, quote-unquote, is merited in uh, schools. Mobile devices can cause distraction, risk pupil privacy, and lead to cyberbullying, says UNESCO. Uh, The UN's Education, Science, and Culture Agency but less than one in four countries have laws or policies banning phones in schools. Uh, and that is what the report has found. We'll be addressing um, quite a few things uh, during this uh, discussion um, on whether or how we can deal with children who are addicted to gadgets, uh, children of different ages. Um, uh, what effect does you, the the use of gadgets have on students' academic development uh, and health uh, and uh, other related things as well. But uh, before we do so, I believe we'll be speaking to our first uh, guest
1: for this segment. Indeed, we have Manos Antoninus with us. Uh, Manos Antoninus is the director of the global education monitoring report since 2017 he has previously res- he was previously responsible for the monitoring section of the report he coordinated the financing gap estimates for the 2030 education targets the projections on the achievement of universal primary and secondary education completion and the world in- inequality database on education he has been representing the report team in the technical cooperation group on SDG 4 indicators, which he is currently co chairing. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show.
3: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thank you for being with us. Um, just getting straight into it, we have the uh, first question, which we have on. Uh, it's a very important uh, topic which we are discussing today. Um, so, you are known as the uh, director of the Global Education Monitoring Report. Um, could you please tell our listeners what um, report this is?
3: Uh, the Global Education Monitoring Report celebrated last year its 20th anniversary and it is the um, tool of the international community to monitor progress on education in the international development agenda. We are an editorially independent report that is hosted and published by UNESCO, and we have two mandates. The first is to report on quantitative progress in education, and I think many of the things you mentioned about what I've done relates to uh, that part of our mandate. But we also have a mandate to monitor the implementation of national and international strategies to achieve our global education goal, and that's why we have a theme. And the theme of the 2023 report was technology in I
1: education. See, I see, I see. And um, what makes uh, UNESCO adopt a policy, um, you know, to to ban having smartphones for children in schools? Um, obviously, this is the topic that we're discussing today. So, so what is it that makes UNESCO adopt a policy such as this?
3: I mean, first of all, let me say that the report, as I said, is editorially independent. It is hosted and published by UNESCO. What the report says does not bind UNESCO uh, in, in the, its policy proclamations. In any case, the way UNESCO decides on uh, certain statements is through uh, consent and through uh, country deliberations through its own mechanisms. What the report does is to review the global progress on education and the different challenges and to make recommendations on the basis of all the evidence that it collects. And in that sense, there are so many technologies all over the world. There are so many different contexts. It's not possible for the report to make recommendations that are specific to a particular technology in a particular country. What the report did was to examine the evidence see that there is a lot of hype, often, related to technology, and call on policymakers when they deploy technology in education to ask themselves four very important questions that we often forget about. The first is whether technology is appropriate for the context to which they're applying it. And by that, we really mean, does it actually really lead to improved learning? The second is whether technology is equitable Is it offered in conditions that allow everyone to benefit and not only the more privileged? The third is, is it scalable? Have we calculated the short-term costs that are required to uh, make it available to everyone? And the final, is it sustainable? Um, Sometimes we forget that if everyone in the world had such resources to their... um, uh, 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 context... Uh, disposable for them. The costs in terms of environmental implications, such as resources and energy, but also the social um, context, the social repercussions, and you mentioned some of them on privacy, um, on safety, on well being, are so heavy and so high that maybe we need to rethink a little bit about the application of technology in education as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, is the ban on um, smartphones aimed at? All schools in the world, um, you know, but ma- many of them still ignore this warning. And you know, what do you think about this?
3: So a, a report cannot issue a ban on on um, uh, on phones mm. uh, in schools all over the world. Mm. The the report covers all contexts in the world, from schools and in countries that have no electricity at all, and there are such countries um, to uh, countries where. Advanced technologies are being applied, even facial recognition in classrooms. Uh, it's not possible for one recommendation to apply to all these contexts. What we are asked in this particular case was, um, what's happening with phones in schools? There are calls from teachers, um, about 40% of teachers surveyed in relatively wealthier countries, complain about the presence of phones in classrooms for the distraction uh, they're, they're causing. Um, I mean, we know that from our own personal context. When we work and and suddenly there's a message coming, we get distracted and it takes us time to go back. Um, And we know that phones are not used in several sensitive functions of everyday life. You're not supposed to carry um, a phone uh, because it could lead to accidents. Well, Learning is very, very sensitive, so you really have to protect it. Um, I think what we uh, really could say is to raise that concern and for policymakers to take action. We have been surprised by the reaction. So many countries around the world um, have been trying to respond to the the reports, but we know in practice, as you rightly said, it's not that simple. Um, Countries differ very much. In some countries, the Ministry of Education issues a decree and then everyone follows. In other countries, it's all completely up to the school, the director and the team to decide what to do. And often we even find schools where there is a negotiation between uh, between the, the management and, and the students and the parents and agreements between themselves. So it's not possible to say that we can apply a blanket solution to all schools around the world. But it is right to say that it is time for school communities, for local authorities, for ministries of education around the world to ask themselves whether some additional measures are needed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I see, and especially of course, if it's if uh, for uh, students, if um, any any sort of um, you know distraction, um, you know, is not something that they should you know, especially with smartphones, which are you know probably the biggest distractions. These shouldn't, of course, be in the classroom if it's causing someone to um, you know distract them from the true purpose of uh, why they are going to school. Um, just lastly, uh, what role can schools play um, to end the negative impact of uh, having smartphones?
3: So it is true that the report's findings seem to have uh, touched the raw nerve. Uh, judging from the reactions from all over the world, it seemed to be one of those issues that people talk about, but no particular organised response had been found. As you said, we did find that. Um, 13% of countries have a law that bans phones, usually countries that consider sometimes not accurately that a law is enough to solve the problem. Um, 14% of countries have national policies on this. Altogether, uh, less than one in four countries have done something, which is more than we expected uh, to be uh, to be uh, honest. Now, what is there to be done? I think... Um, it's a matter of a school community to get together and discuss um, that, to recognize that there is an issue. And I think even children who would like, of course, to uh, preserve the opportunity to have a phone um, would understand that there are negative repercussions. Now, uh, punitive measures often have a backlash. Um, so that's why it is important for a school community to Agree on certain uh, parameters that will make the um, bringing the phone to a school uh, manageable. So that can be decided on a case-by-case basis. Uh, it has to be a joint decision. It has to be a decision that respects the rights and responsibilities of all members of the school community. We have examples also in the UK, in besides in Ireland as well. We have featured. The, the case of, um, of schools that have said no enough is enough phones are distracting i can imagine that there are contexts where perhaps um, the availability of phones in the classroom if used for pedagogical purposes could be useful if it uh, allows instead of a, a textbook uh, all students to uh, consult the same material and progress through uh, the contents of a subject Uh, it may be even more important in poorer countries where often they don't have access to such materials but that has to be decided and clear terms have to be set because as things stand the phone is superfluous for for most country contexts because children have access to them also outside school so there's no need to add the burden of having to manage them in the classroom especially when as you said they also lead to other problems in the classroom they're being used for abusive behavior um, and they're very, very difficult to control.
1: I see, yeah. Um, Thank you for answering your questions and thank you for joining us. Um, Have a great day and a lovely week ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you very much that was uh, Manos Antoninis um who is the director of the Global Education Monitoring Report um and you know a very interesting um uh, um uh, topic that we are uh, you know discussing and you know the answer uh, the question and answers that we did receive were you know very informative um and you know it is it is uh, the the uh, important topic that we are you know discussing
0: definitely um, how to deal with children who are addicted to gadgets? Well, first of all, we need to limit usage time. So um, just from, from, from online, uh, different research which has been done suggests that children under the years of two uh, should not be allowed to play with their own gadgets, including TVs, smartphones and tablets. Children aged between two and four less than one hour a day and ages five and over preferably no more than two hours a day for recreational use so that's excluding study needs Um, mothers need to strictly apply the limitations on um the duration of using the above gadgets for their children and explain to them the reasons for doing this. Uh, Invite children to do other activities. Of course, there's so many other things that we can do. uh, Get the children to play outside the house, get, uh, get them to play in the garden, running, exercising, and we don't even need to leave the house as well. There's so many fun activities that we can do at home to keep our children entertained for example playing board games hide and seek singing together reading some books helping um, the parents cook and involving them in helping with simple works at home so they forget about their gadgets and of course Uh, With that, um, the the natural thing to say next would be to spend more time with children. Um, And for that, we need to be role models as well. Um, We cannot expect our children to not be addicted to to, to these gadgets and not uh, be so heavily involved in them if we ourselves uh, are using them so much as well. Um, And maybe... Uh, uh, one thing that we can do for this uh, is to actually set gadget-free areas. So maybe you can have a rule in the house that uh, at the dinner table, in the bedroom, or or in the car, such places uh, you're not allowed to use any gadgets. And that means uh, the children aren't allowed, but also the parents, you yourselves, uh, aren't allowed as well. And you should all follow that. And when when the children see you following that uh, practice, then they will follow suit as well. Um, more on this uh, topic uh, with our next guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Dr. Sierra Rose who's a developmental psychologist um, and her work focuses on improving children's well-being. Her research has included projects exploring the impact of screen time on physical and psychological development, why children may be at risk of being bitten by a dog and children's developing creative uh, abilities. She's the director of Staffordshire University's Psychology Children's Lab and also uh, known for her methodological expertise in designing both uh, qualitative uh, and quantitative research involving infants children and young people assalamu alaikum peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the breakfast show
3: good
4: morning thank you for inviting me on
0: you're very welcome and thank you for being with us um could you please tell our listeners uh, about the impact of smartphone use on uh, children's physical and mental development please
4: I can certainly tell you a little bit. It's a, it's a large topic, as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm. Um, so if we think about children's physical development, first of all, um, there is some evidence that children who use smartphones at a young age um, develop actually quite good fine motor control Um Because it's something that they're practicing, because they're having to point and click and and, uh, be quite accurate with their their fingers, making small movements, um, it can actually help their fine motor control develop. Of course, there's many, many other beneficial activities that can also help motor skills um, that develop but maybe it's nice to begin with a a positive because I think often we think about negatives when we think about you know a smartphone use Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose another area that there's been a lot of research is around um, children's uh, obesity levels and that children who uh, spend more time on smartphones or more time in front of screens generally in fact um, tend to have higher BMI, higher obesity levels, and obviously that's a concern for their physical health. Um, I suppose there, you know, just listening to, to what you were saying before I came on air, there are so many different activities that children can get involved with. And the trouble with smartphone use is it's a very sedentary, sitting still activity and if we spend a lot of time sitting still and we keep eating, mm. we put weight on. Um, so it, I feel a little bit like we shouldn't necessarily blame um, the smartphone for an increase in potential obesity levels, but we need to think about smartphone screen time as being part of a balanced, healthy lifestyle. And clearly, if children are spending very high amounts of, of time on these devices, um and sitting still therefore for high amounts of time that is going to impact on their their physical health and you know, i talked about their fine motor their small uh, physical movement control but um you know gross motor skills are really important for children as well jumping running um etc um, and again if they're spending a lot of time sitting down they'll be missing out on opportunities to develop those skills
0: yeah no, no, most certainly. Um, and before having you on, we were speaking about uh, a few ways in which we can lessen the um, the 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 time that uh, our children spend on on these gadgets mm-hmm. as well. Um, what should parents and schools do to prevent and reduce smartphone addiction? Do you think?
4: I think we all as a society really have a responsibility to our children to try and model, and I know you were just talking about this before I came on, model sort of healthy smartphone use. Mm. So I I do have some concerns actually about just saying in schools let's have an outright ban because I think schools could also be an opportunity where children could be taught um, responsible mobile phone use behaviours. So I know in some schools where i visited and collected data, children are allowed mobile phones during lessons, but they are allowed them for specific activities, and then there's other activities where they are told to put their phones away. Um, I do have some concerns about that, particularly around kind of equality, that you know not all children will have the same mobile phone and that there may be... Um, competition among children about, you know, who has the best, the newest, etc. And so, you know, getting them out in class puts an assumption that all children have a phone that can do whatever the activity is that the the teacher is asking the children to use the phone for. Um, But I think that sometimes outright bans on mobile phones in school is maybe missing that opportunity to enable children to develop healthy smartphone habits, where they understand that these devices have their uses, uh, can be beneficial, can can maybe, you know, make a lesson more engaging with having some activity that might involve um, a smartphone, um, but that they also understand that these devices can be a distraction and that they do need to be put away. Um, in research we've carried out, we spoke with with young children, um, 10 and 11-year-olds most recently, and actually we were really Um, impressed I suppose is maybe the best word Mm -hmm. at what good understanding these children had of both the benefits and the risks of smartphone usage and I think sometimes um, having those conversations with children is really important and that actually maybe children have a better awareness of some of these issues than we think they do and by having those conversations and developing their awareness um, and encouraging them to use smartphones responsibly, um, we can help them to develop good habits, which will take them forwards into adulthood, because you know, at some point they are going to have that option if they choose to sit there and spend a lot of time on their phone. Yeah. So actually, by banning it, are we, are we just putting off some inevitable, maybe, smartphone addiction? Whereas by encouraging conversations around it, modelling, I really liked the examples you were talking about before I, I came on, and maybe that's why I haven't quite said as much about parents, because I think you were giving really good examples there. Well, you know, all the different things that parents can do in terms of activities at home, um, having areas in the house where we don't use smartphones, mm. having rules maybe, particularly around smartphone use prior to bedtime there's been a lot of evidence around sleep and um, smartphone use in that hour before bed disturbing sleep so again having those rules but parents also need to follow those rules we shouldn't just expect our children to follow them
0: of course, of course, and I think the 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 key word that you used there earlier was responsibly, uh, using using our gadgets and using our smartphones responsibly, and 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 it, when we do that, and when our children do that, um, then they'll be able to make proper use of that as well. And even uh, our worldwide head of the the Muslim community, Hazim Zamasurah and his hand. on so many occasions, he's told us about, uh, and you mentioned that as well, right in the beginning, the the benefits. There there are benefits, um, and it's crucial that we make proper use of these benefits uh, from um, all of these things, smartphones and these other gadgets as well. But uh, it's equally important for us to educate ourselves of the negatives so that we can stay away from them and and, and only make use of the benefits uh, from these gadgets. And I think that is uh, absolutely uh, essential as well. Lastly, um, I want to ask you, what advice would you give regarding the use of gadgets um, and how they can be positive in life, especially for, for children and adolescents?
4: I think actually the COVID 19 pandemic gave us maybe an opportunity to reevaluate smartphone social media use because suddenly actually um, technology became really important for keeping in touch with people and I think that that is a key benefit to technology really particularly if we have friends family who may be in different countries who we may not be able to see regularly in, in person actually technology can give us that feeling of connection to a person to a place to help us um, have that, you know, that sense of belonging, that sense of identity. Um, you know, if we're growing up in a culture that's maybe different to our own, um, or if we have maybe um, different different beliefs to, to others who we might see on a daily basis, being able to connect with people using technology suddenly makes the world a smaller place in in, in many ways. And I think there's some real advantages there. Um, i think clearly in terms of education and you know being able to access knowledge um smartphones means that you know knowledge is, is at our fingertips and very very accessible to us and we have to again support children to develop that ability because there's there's good knowledge and mm. accurate information available via smartphones but of course there is also um conspiracy theories, inaccurate information, inappropriate information that maybe we wouldn't want our children to access and so again it's a little bit of a, you know, it's great that we've got all this information just there but we do need to think again about that responsible use and educating children um, to be able to spot fake news, to be able to evaluate and critically analyse the information that they find um, in order to be able to decide whether it's it's good information
0: or not mm-hmm. very good very good uh thank you um uh, dr rose for, for for being with us for answering our questions and sharing your insight into this uh, this very important topic uh, which i think is crucial not just for for children but for parents mostly as well mm-hmm. uh so thank you once again and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead
4: thank you you too thank you very much yeah. for having me on the show bye-bye bye. thank
0: you bye-bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was Dr. Sarah Rose, um, who is a developmental psychologist, and her work focuses on improving children's well-being. Um, uh, some very interesting um, things that she's uh, she mentioned. Some tips um, um, and some things that she, uh, parents also should keep in mind uh, whilst um, uh, educating uh, and regulating their children's phone and gadget use as well.
1: Indeed. I mean, um, you know, when we come to the you know, Islamic aspect of um this and you know, of course, uh, sometimes someone may ask well, what uh, uh, such a, how, how can this such a topic be linked to uh Islam? Well, when 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 we see that in encouraging, you know, moderation in it's like Islam encourages moderation in all activities. You know, including gadget usage, um, you know, this aligns with the teachings of Islam, you know, promoting uh, balanced and uh, purposeful lives is what, you know, Islam uh, teaches, you know, um, Islam educates, uh, states that, you know, to educate children about the responsible time management, um, aligning their actions with the concept of worship and avoiding excessive indulgence whether that be in in various things and as we see today and because we are talking about gadgets um uh, we see that you know children um in this day and age are you know um are very much indul- in, in, in in indulged into the uh, the gadgets whether it be a a a, a, a any a, a sort of screen or a tablet and um you know this is this is something that if if person if a child grows up like this it, be, it can become difficult in when they are older to fulfill the responsibilities or you know the purpose um that they uh, purpose of life uh, which in islam uh, we are taught that the purpose of life is you know to worship god almighty and and uh, also um you know uh, looking after humanity and uh, taking care of uh, uh humanity as well and if a person is indulged in um you know uh, technology uh, you know like uh, too much excessive use of spending time in you know in front of screens that can be very harmful um you know you, you spoke about uh, parents should be role models um you know this this reminds me of an incident um you know once i saw a, 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 a person sent me um something they uh, where a the, a mother and a child were sitting on a um train and both of them were reading you know they were re both reading books and uh whilst everyone else on the train were either on their phone or on a uh tablet um and you know someone asked the mother how she got her child to read a book and the mother replied that she didn't really do anything she just showed her example and the child followed suit so it's important um and you know that parents um, you know, that they, they, they should set an example where they, um, where the children can then follow um, suit. And, you know, of course, it is, it is seen, um, um, statistically proven as well, that those parents that spend more time in front of screens, then naturally their children will, of course, spend more time in screen. And that goes with any, um, you know, a- any field uh, um, of study as well um again the holy quran says that you know uh, not the holy quran again islam and of course the holy quran we, we read that you know when excessive love um for children and freedom given to children that you know um it can it can it can, it can uh it won't help a child regulate Their lives, and in future, it it will become difficult for them to you know to to um, uh, to regulate their lives if they are spending a lot of the time sitting down in front of a screen. Hmm.
0: Um, Some some very interesting uh, uh, things that we've uh, we've mentioned, and and there's a a lot more that we can uh, address in this regard as well. Uh, But unfortunately, time has got the better of us. Um, We will have to move on now to our last uh, segment for the day, and that is children's anxiety. Um, Anxiety is on the rise among children and adolescents. And studies show that as many as one in um, eight children actually may experience significant anxiety knowledgeable observers offer a number of reasons perhaps most important children's lives have changed so that there is also almost non-stop sedentary screen time at the expense of play and physical activity which we just spoke about experiences through which uh, children traditionally decompress work out their concerns and form supportive relationships so there are a few things that we want to address uh, throughout the course of uh, this segment Uh, which factors uh, cause a child to experience anxiety, mindfulness and self-care, how we can help children with anxiety uh, disorders. But the first thing that we want to address is what makes children easily anxious. So, sedentary screen time versus play and physical activity. Um, And remember that uh, if you would like to get involved in any one of the discussions uh, which we're having in this segment now, um, then please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0 687 And you can tweet us or leave your comments on our Instagram page at voiceofislamuk. So the shift towards more sedentary activities, often involving screens, raises concerns about the potential consequences on children's emotional and mental well-being. The lack of physical activity and outdoor play, which uh, have traditionally been avenues for decompression, self-expression, forming connections, could actually contribute to heightened anxiety levels. Isolation from traditional decompression activities, the reduction of face-to-face interactions and communal activi- uh, activities may result in feeling of, feelings of isolation and a lack of emotional out- outlets. The absence of meaningful personal interactions and opportunities to express concerns and thoughts could exacerbate anxiety. Um, how then can we help a, a children with an anxiety disorders? Well, there's therapeutic in, in, interventions. Uh, seeking professional help through therapy or counselling can provide children with tailored strategies for managing their anxiety Therapeutic interventions offer tools to develop coping mechanisms and enhance emotional resilience. There's mindfulness and self-care. Well, practicing mindfulness techniques and encouraging self-care routines can empower children to navigate their emotions effectively. These practices facilitate a greater understanding of their feelings and help them develop strategies to alleviate anxiety um and if we if we if we actually look at this we can see that only guarding and supervising prayers will guarantee to keep us and our future generations free from sins and wrongdoings Uh, and uh, his holiness mentioned that if you want to save your children from falling into these uh, these sins and these filthy and obscene practices Um, then the best way is to try and uh, make them regular with prayers. Um, And another thing that he mentioned in Friday's sermon was that salat, which is prayer, uh, should be offered in congregation, should be offered regularly, and should be offered on time. The Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that offering prayers in congregation increases the reward 27-fold
1: indeed indeed i mean um you know before we do get on to, uh, into uh, you know what the factors cause a child to experience anxiety and uh, you know um you know the do's and don'ts in responding to children's anxiety uh we do have uh with us dr simona um dr simona is a senior postdoctoral researcher working across the departments of psychiatry and experimental <clears throat> Excuse me, um, psychology of the uh, University of Oxford. Her recent work focuses on child, adolescent, and parental mental health during the COVID pandemic or in relation to gaming and social media. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Thank you for joining us. Um, We are discussing a very important um, topic Um, and just getting into the questions. um, How is anxiety present in children and how can parents recognize it?
5: Uh, Well, thank you for having me, first of all. But um, yes, so anxiety can take many forms, really. We typically think of anxiety as a sort of fear or nervousness or worry, but it can also show up as um, more physical symptoms like, let's say, fatigue, headaches or stomach aches or things like irritability, anger and sleeping issues. It's important to note, though, that some anxiety is expected and is often very useful, let's say, before important events or at certain developmental stages. However, it's when those fears and worries become persistent extreme or interfere the school home or play activities uh, that that may indicate internalizing issues or anxiety disorders and sort of requires worry then on our own part i
1: see i see and um, as a post uh, doctoral researcher of um, children's mental health uh, during the pandemic Uh, Do you believe um, there has been a rise in uh, children's anxiety during and um, post COVID-19?
5: That's a good question. So our own research at Oxford for the COSPACE study has really looked more at how mental health has um, changed month to month during the pandemic in relation to the changing restrictions. And we've seen that at different times of the pandemic, when the restrictions were toughest, all type of symptoms, conduct problems, emotional problems, or inattention problems, have really increased and then decreased when the restrictions were released. And that was particularly pronounced for sort of primary school-aged children, whereas those from vulnerable families like those with special education needs, lower income families, or single adult households showed elevated symptoms throughout. So we really looked more at the change. Through the pandemic, and we can't, being non representative study, we can't really say much about the general prevalence. Um, however, there's been some other fantastic research done by NHS Digital and, and other um, academic research groups where um, they have showed that mental health symptoms have indeed been on the rise even before the pandemic hit. And uh, it increased further during the pandemic times and during the sort of the height of the pandemic. And it doesn't seem like it's really come back down even when the restrictions were released and when we sort of went back to relatively normal functioning. It didn't really come back down to pre-pandemic levels. So it does seem like there's been an increase before and during the
1: pandemic. I see, I see. And, um, you know, with regards to um, people, various people who deal with um, anxiety in, in various ways, uh, we see, you know, that children may avoid school or turn to excessive use of technologies to deal with anxiety. Um, what are healthy ways um, of coping with anxiety for children? Oh,
5: that's quite a complicated question. So, first of all, uh, indeed both school avoidance and and excessive technology use could be a symptom of potential experiences of anxiety um, and when that's the case I think the first thing to really determine is whether, whether there is an issue so um, for example excessive technology use might appear excessive to te- adults sometimes but might not actually be that excessive given how much time our young people are spending online nowadays for schoolwork, for their social life and things like that. My own research for the Oxwell survey for example shows that the wide majority of, of, of um, adolescents actually um, the sort of the gaming and well-being is not is not really related or or related in a good way. Um, so first of all, I think it's important to determine whether there is an issue or or whether that's just something that we perceive as adults. Then, if we do think that there is an issue, it's it's important to consider what is actually causing the anxiety. As I said before, sometimes the anxiety is a relatively good response, right? So for example, if there's something to be fearful of, something that poses danger and anxiety might be an appropriate result that might not need to be dealt with. um so maybe it's academic pressures um maybe it's experiences of bullying maybe it's social worries or something else that might be pushing the child to be avoidant or seek escapism um and maybe it's that core of an issue that can be dealt with rather than the anxiety itself. However, if, if that's not the case and if anxiety is interfering with the young person's functioning, um, it's probably a good time then to reach out and seek evidence-based help. Um, so in those instances, encouraging the child to reach out to mental health staff at school, uh, maybe consult your GP seeking to you know seeking support by charities working with young people's mental health might be appropriate so for example youngminds.org.uk has some great advice and resources on how to support young people's mental health or where to turn for help in your area different for different types of anxiety because appropriateness of response will depend on the specific
1: situation i see i see um and just lastly um with the upcoming exam results in the UK you know many children feel you know an enormous amount of pressure to uh, achieve a specific um grades um what advice can you give to uh, parents um to help alleviate their anxiety and support them
5: mm. So yeah, it's it's important to remember that academic pressures and and exam pressures in particular are a great sources of distress and anxiety for, uh, for for many, and really, but in no way should that be dismissed. So there's a few things that parents can proactively do to support their children um, in the situation. So first of all, it's really. Um, providing reassurance. So encourage them to talk about their concerns and reassure them that their feelings are valid and that you're there to support them no matter what. Um, Secondly, help with some practicalities. There's so much happening in the young person's life at that point. There's so many pressures. Sometimes it can be hard to make sure that you have had enough time to revise and um, sort of have the space to, to, to study. So um, help them through realistic revision schedule, make sure that they have time and space to study and disturbed. Maybe if there's other children in, in the house, make sure that they have their own room where they could quietly study uh, or that they might have time to go to the library and do it there and um, that they're not over revising as well so encourage healthy routines to including sleeping well eating regular healthy meals and taking time to relax and socialize whatever form that might take maybe include some physical exercise but if that's not what the young person needs maybe just watching a tv show might be a good way to disconnect from sort of stressful situation of provisions but most importantly I think avoid adding pressures in in this already high distress situation instead be positive and promote sense of perspective uh, by supporting them to set their own manageable goals Uh, so things that they might strive for rather than maybe achieving the best grade in the class that you know or something that other children might achieve in that situation um so remind the child that this is maybe not the end of the world that it's important to do well and it's important to achieve their own personal goals but not necessarily um sort of overstress themselves and again if, if it seems that the, their anxiety is becoming overwhelming then you know um Find, f- find ways of support and evidence-based support and seek professional help if it comes to that level
1: yeah yeah um thank you for um joining us and thank you for answering our questions um have a uh, lovely day and a beautiful week ahead thank you thank you for joining us okay,
0: Zero zero eight, six eight seven seven eight seven eight is uh, the number for you um, that was uh, Dr. Simona, uh, and we'll be going straight to our uh, next uh, guest, our last guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Dr. Vilas uh, Saurikar, uh, who is a lecturer of clinical uh, f- uh, psychology at the University of Edinburgh and registered clinical uh, psychologist. He is also the program director of the Children and Young People's Mental Health Program at the University of Edinburgh and a deputy director of the Centre of Applied Developmental Psychology. His area of interest is to understand how individual psychological factors interact with family factors in common mental health conditions. Um, and from this, he explores novel approaches to treatment that address individual differences in how people develop mental illness and the response to treatment. Um Asami peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show.
6: Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: You're very welcome and thank you for being with us. We're talking about a very interesting and uh, not just interesting but important topic over here, uh, which is children's anxiety. And the first question that we wanted to ask you was, what behavioural and emotional difficulties uh, in children are caused by anxiety?
6: Well, that's a really interesting question that really speaks to how anxiety can present itself in different ways And you've touched on the fact that they can be broken down in both behavioral and emotional components. And behaviorally, what we see is that anxiety often manifests in avoidance, in the sense that children who feel anxious will want to alleviate the stress or distress they're experiencing. And so what's the best way of doing so? The best way of doing so is to actually just avoid the thing that's causing them that distress. And so we see a behavioral avoidance being a key aspect of anxiety. On the other hand, with the emotional component, what we see is this hyper-arousal component of anxiety, this idea that fear elicits an emotional response, and that that can then manifest in different ways, from sweatiness to shakiness to feeling butterflies in the stomach, feeling giddy in the head. I'm feeling all of these emotions right now as I'm talking to you for the first time. So emotionally, these are these internal changes that are occurring. And these behavioural and emotional parts are influencing each other. And what we can see sometimes is that children become so overwhelmed by these emotions that they, they get stuck. They become what we call uh, kind of functionally impaired. They're unable to approach a situation with confidence and, and it stops them from living their fuller lives. And it's when it comes to that stage that we seek to sort of help children understand that process and find solutions to those problems.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, your your research focuses on how individual psychological factors interact with family factors what uh, what common family factors can be found in young patients uh, which are dealing with anxiety
6: yeah well i think it's really important uh, to see uh, mental health within the sort of environmental context and unfortunately the evidence shows that Mental health difficulties often run through families in the, in the sense that there are genetic components, but there are also family environmental influences. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important family environmental influences are the parents' own anxiety. And that parents can sometimes have uh, d- deep levels of anxiety that manifest in parenting behaviours that then creates a modelling pathway. They model anxiety and that this influences the way the child uh, learns how to cope with their environment. We also find that uh, children who have anxiety, parents often find it difficult to know what to do when they see their child experience anxiety. Mm -hmm. And in order to help decrease that distress in a very rapid way, they accommodate for their child. They facilitate that behavioral avoidance. So we see often parents uh, making compensations or taking their child away from a distressing experience and while these are notable behavioral responses to those situations in the sense that the parents are doing their very, very best to manage their child's anxiety, this can inadvertently uh, maintain that anxiety because the child hasn't learned that the thing that's really scaring them is very unlikely to happen. Which leads me to this last component. So from the fact that families experience anxiety in general, that there's this accommodation. The last bit that we work from a treatment perspective is this idea of reinforcement. That these inadvertent attempts to accommodate for their child actually reinforce the anxiety and that the child learns these unhelpful, maladaptive coping strategies when they feel anxious that then unfortunately maintains that anxiety rather than challenges those anxieties. Mm -hmm. And it's these reinforcement learning procedures that are key to our understanding of how better to target our families and family interactions in a way to help the child learn better ways or more helpful ways with coping with anxiety. And so it's this interaction between these individual vulnerabilities that children often present with these early temperamental characteristics. Even when they're born, parents will tell you, I just knew my child was anxious. They were always just shy. They were avoidant. And it's these um, parental responses often the case where it's not that they mean to do it, but they're trying to help their child. But unfortunately, they inadvertently reinforce these behaviors, anxious behaviors, which leave this family and this child in a cycle of ongoing difficulties with managing anxiety. And so, from a treatment perspective, it's these interactions that we focus on and trying to modify so that we can get children back on track and give them the skills that they need to deal with anxiety.
0: Mm. I mean that, that's that's absolutely uh, essential and crucial what you mentioned um in, in regards to parents uh, looking out and l- l- for these particular things as well and 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 that's when uh treatment will uh, be better as well and and speaking of uh, treatment you you explain yes. um uh, the, the the your integrated care model the, the staged care um yes. could you kindly um, uh, for the benefit of our listeners explain how it promotes the prevention of anxiety amongst young people in particular? Particular.
6: yeah i think it's really important to understand that anxiety is actually a normal response to situations mm-hmm. and so when we think about young people in and more specifically what we find is that anxiety is part of their normal behavior so distinguishing problematic anxiety from normal anxiety is a challenge for parents children practitioners everyone involved And so what we've presented here is a model that helps us identify that type of anxiety that is likely to predict problematic anxiety over the life course. And so one of the key things about staged care is the identification of problematic anxiety at the earliest point in the course of its illness and to help distinguish it from the kind of normal anxiety, the kind of anxiety that you hear children say is, oh, I'm scared of the dark,
2: for mm-hmm. instance,
6: or I don't want to be on my own, right? These are normal responses. But when a child gets stuck in an anxiety cycle that says, I'm not able to go to school, I'm not able to make friends, this level of static anxiety needs to be identified early, as earliest as possible, so we can prevent those anxiety problems. And so our staged care provides key criteria to enable practitioners professionals and parents and the child themselves I should not you know exclude them from this Mm -hmm. equation to be able to identify at the earliest point. okay I hang on I've got a problem I need to find a solution to this problem the other key thing about this staged care model is that one of the great challenges in being able to identify anxiety is that we leave it too late and we're unable to find the right treatment for that person often they come at a stage of their illness where Their problems have grown to include a variety and diverse sets of problems. And here we are trying to squeeze them within this one-size-fits-all kind of treatment model that makes it very difficult for them when they come to be like, actually, this treatment is going to work for me. And so one of the things is to expand our understanding of mental health, not to look at the problem in terms of mental disorder-specific but in terms of the problems that the person is presenting with. And this staged care model allows us to assess and determine what needs this individual requires from the very outset of treatment. And it's that distinguishing factor of our integrated care model that will help individuals access the care they need at the earliest point in time. And that we propose is the best way to prevent that kind of lifelong mental health difficulty that will impair them Over the life course. And so young people in particular are important from this perspective because the onset of anxiety and other mental health difficulties peak at this developmental period. So we have proposed this staged care model to be the kind of optimal model of prevention of mental health difficulties for this young person and and over their course of life.
0: Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's uh, spot on. I mean, uh, it's so, there's so many uh, important things that you addressed uh, in that, and and it's 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 essential, like you said as well, uh, to spot these things early on so you can uh, prevent and cure. Um, yeah. A, a, and treat uh, it properly as well, and help the individuals and the the, the young infants and and ch- children to 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 cope with their with their with their anxiety as well. Um, unfortunately, that is all that we have time for today. Would have loved to speak for you. For, uh with you for longer and and get more Absolutely. insight uh, into this very interesting and important topic but uh, unfortunately that's uh, all that we have time for today <clears throat> excuse me um so thank you once again and we hope you have uh, a wonderful day ahead thank you very much thanks thank for you. having me thank you no bye bye 0208-687-7878 is the number for you. That was Dr. Vilas Saurikar, uh, who is a lecturer uh, of uh, clinical psychology at the University of Edinburgh and registered clinical psychologist who is sharing his thoughts with us on some very interesting um, things which he, he touched on and spoke about as well. Um um uh, i mean jalis there's we've we've spoken about this topic uh many a time and not just us but uh, on the voice of islam um station whether it be the breakfast show or any other show uh because this is uh, a matter of uh, of great importance um our mental health and our mental well-being um and in particular we're speaking about children and uh, and children anxiety uh, uh, right now um, what does uh, Islam? I know we only have about a minute or so left. What does Islam teach us uh, in this regard?
1: Yeah, so in, in Islam, there are various verses in the Holy Quran where Allah Almighty has reassured, and um, you know, time and time again, has reminded uh, Muslims and believers and mankind that you know um, that uh, the, uh, that it is in the remembrance um, of God where hearts truly find uh, peace and comfort um al which is uh, the verse of the holy quran and uh, you know um, again we are uh, there are various verses that are, uh help uh, mankind uh, help one get through um, uh, various stages in their life. Anyone who has uh, read, there is a very famous, um, well-known um, chapter, surah, in the Holy Quran, which is in the last part. Which is anyone who has read the they will know um, uh, the the background of this, and they will know that how it's God Almighty comforts His um, people. And there is also a prayer in the Holy Quran, which is, Our Lord, grant us of our wives and children the delight of our eyes, and make us a model for the righteous. Um, so there's quite a few that the Holy Quran mentions mm.
0: uh, unfortunately that is all that we have time for today we thank everyone who came on uh, as guests for the show and everyone who was involved in the show here's the 9 o'clock news